Welcome to Hands on Health, the podcast all about living your healthiest life on the coast. I'm your host, Felicia Struvi. My guest today is Dr. Faith Kays. Dr. Kays is a family medicine doctor at the CMH Primary Care Clinic in Warrington, Oregon. She has an unusual background because in addition to being a family medicine physician, she's also a doctor of pharmacy who specialized in geriatric pharmacy. Today, we're talking about dealing with some of the challenges of caring for someone with dementia, whether they're at home or living in a facility. Thanks for joining me for episode 29 of Hands on Health. I am joined today by Dr. Faith Case from the Warrington Primary Care. Welcome, Dr. Case. Hi, glad to be here. Glad to have you. So you and I have been talking for several months about sharing. So you've got this vast knowledge, both personal and professional, about helping seniors through this whole confusing medical system that, that we have in our country. Mm-hmm. So today we're going to talk about dementia. What are some early signs of dementia? How do you determine it's dementia versus just, oh, I'm getting forgetful or I'm getting older? At the beginning, it's very difficult to make that determination. Um, People, I mean, our brains do change as they get older. We'd like to think we're all as sharp as we ever were, but most people have some decline with aging. And at the beginning, it's very difficult. You forget words. You forget names. You forget where you put your keys. And when you're 30 and you forget where you put your keys, you don't worry about it. But when you're 70 and you forget where you put your keys, it's scary. So what happens is people come into my clinic and they say, you know, I'm getting forgetful or my wife is getting forgetful. Is there anything we can do because we're worried about dementia? And there is a real easy screening test that we do in the clinic It's called the St. Louis Mental Status Exam. I think something like that. Um, And it's just asking questions, listening to us stories, how many animals can you name, simple mind exercises like that. And it gives us an idea of, is this person functioning at a normal level? Are they having what we call mild neurocognitive decline, which is a a big word, but it means, you know, not quite up to snuff where you used to be, but it's not dementia. Or if they do poorly on the exam, it could be that they have dementia. So it it doesn't diagnose them exactly, but it is a screening tool that helps us differentiate that for people as a start. So you said it's not a diagnosis or a tool to diagnose, but it's, it's, so in a way it's like you take a measurement of somebody's height and weight and blood pressure, and these are all signs of overall health. And so Mm -hmm. the tool itself doesn't diagnose, but it gives you a way to measure over time how Mm -hmm. a person's doing. Am I understanding that correctly? Correct. Correct. Well, we do a lot of things for screening. We do mammograms for screening. We do colonoscopies for screening. And it's taking a normal person and saying, hmm, is there something going on here? And if there is, then we can look into it further. Mm -hmm. So what are signs that you mentioned forgetfulness? Mm -hmm. Uh, What are signs that people should be watching for that they want, that they should bring up to their doctor? Yeah, forgetfulness is the main one. It's really hard. As I said before, because normal forgetfulness and the very beginnings of dementia look the same. What happens when people cross over a line and they're not able to do 
normal daily tasks that they need to do to take care of themselves. They can't figure out how to pay their bills. They go to the store and get lost. They don't remember their grandchild's name. The things that even a normally older forgetful person would know, um, those are those are kind of the warning signs to say, oh, maybe something a little different is going on here a little more. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've had a couple of older uh, family members who've gone through that and decided to move into assisted living. Mm-hmm. Is there an ideal window of time or or stage of the progression of dementia where moving somebody into memory care is not as traumatic or it's a good time? Is there a time to do that? It absolutely depends on the individual and the family. So after the diagnosis of dementia is made, and by that time, there's there's really some serious functional deficits. There's things that they can't do normally. And you know something is actually wrong. You've probably seen a neurologist and had them do the workup for the definitive diagnosis of dementia. As far as moving into facilities, it's so individual. There are some families, some spouses who take care of the individual with dementia their whole lives in their home, and it works out well for them, and they can stay connected. There are other families where that doesn't work out, either because the family is not able to take care of the person, or some people are really difficult to take care of. Maybe they have medical problems that can't be taken care of in their home. If they are very large and they can't walk or they can't use the toilet as they get more seriously impaired in dementia, you know, that may need some extra assistance. Mm-hmm. Can often get that extra assistance by getting caregivers in the home or, you know, at some point it may be that they can't take care of the person anymore in the home. And that's, that's one way of going into care. The other way I see is with people who know they are going into decline and they expect what the future will hold. And perhaps they've taken care of an elderly parent or grandparent with dementia and they say, I'm never going to do that to my children. I'm never going to make it so hard for them. And they voluntarily say, okay, I'm going to sell the house that I love and I'm going to move into assisted living where I know that my kids won't have to worry about me. So that's another way. There's as many different ways for that to happen as there are patients and families trying to work it out. When my grandmother passed, she had been in assisted living for about nine years. And one of the really interesting things to me was when we were getting ready for her funeral, I was doing the eulogy. And so I talked to a lot of different people, including people at the assisted living where she was staying. And they would tell stories about her that were so uncharacteristic of the grandmother that I had grown up with. And what I noticed and what I, what I shared in my eulogy was the people who were caring for her at the end knew a different person Mm -hmm. and they loved her. Mm-hmm. And it was almost easier for them to be with her and to love her as she was than it was for family who had expectations of how she used to be and how she ought to be now and, and only felt grief at the decline. 
Yeah. And, and as you talk, that's the one thing that I see is grief. When someone loses their cognitive abilities, when they go into dementia, they change. Their personality changes. There's still sparks of who they were for sure. But some people become very difficult. They become argumentative. They become angry. And it's just all part of the damaged brain trying to make sense of the world. So there is a terrible grief that happens when you lose the person that you love because they're not the same personality that they were. Mm -hmm. I know I've been through that twice. I don't know if you want me to share a little bit of my own background, Please. but when I was a senior in college, I was 21 years old. My mother suffered a devastating stroke. She had a side effect of taking estrogen. She took estrogen for hot flashes. And one of the side effects is to have thrombosis. So she had a blood clot and it had a devastating stroke. So for the rest of her life, she was paralyzed on the left side of her body and and brain damaged. So I helped take care of her. And I remember the grief of that. Even though she was still alive, she wasn't the same person that she was. And for a year, I just cried and I would even wake up screaming because the pain was so terrific. And I really understand the pain of people losing their loved one, even though they're not lost. It's confusing and painful. Yeah, for sure. Well, obviously, you were in a position with your mother that where she needed help. Yes, she did. So I, after college, I moved in with my parents for about six months. To By that time, she had just come home from the hospital. And my father, of course, was absolutely devastated. This was his beautiful wife whom he loved. And now she was really severely disabled. So I helped get things set up at home. My father didn't know how to fry an egg. He didn't know how to do laundry. He, he knew nothing about home care because my mother had taken care of that. So I got them all set up before moving on with my life. But eventually he went into Alzheimer's disease. At first he had to leave his medical practice. He retired from that. Then over time he became less able to do complicated tasks like uh, take care of his financial, which was you know, there was bills to pay and taxes and insurance, and he had trouble figuring that out. And so slowly, little by little, the family started helping him and taking care of things. But eventually, eventually they needed full-time care, both of them in their home. And we tried very, very hard to keep them in their home. We put in a downstairs bathroom, we hired caregivers, we took turns taking care of them. But it did get to the point where we just couldn't, having an able-bodied person in the home all the time was not enough to take care of them. And so we moved them to assisted living where my mother actually loved it. She had her own apartment. She had friends where at home they were very isolated. So I'm a, I'm a big fan of assisted living. I think people thrive. But my father at that time was too far uh, his his memory was too far gone. He couldn't, he would just wander and get lost and he was falling. So he went to the memory care unit of the assisted living place where he was, he was safe and his world was very small. So he wasn't, he wasn't scared or anxious. 
Everything became familiar to him there. And my mother was able to be with him as much as she wanted to. And we were able to visit all the time. So it was really ended up being a good situation. But, it, you mm-hmm. know, I'm talking about years of of going in that direction. Well, at some point, you had to become, you and your siblings had to become the right. advocate mm-hmm. for your for your parents. Hey there, it's Felicia. Thanks for listening. I'd love to include your questions or comments in an upcoming episode. To leave me a message, please call 503-338-4654. If you've got a health question, I'll do my best to get you an expert answer. Again, that number is 503-338-4654. Now let's get back to our guest. Absolutely. How, what advice do you have to people who are either in that situation or who are looking forward a year or two and seeing that that's where they're going to be with their parents? Right. It's, it's very complicated. It's complicated because you know that you're going to be taking care of an adult individual who will become more and more childlike and need care like a child and eventually like an infant. At the same time, you're grieving your loss. At the same time, there are, you know, how do you get them to appointments? Who drives the car? Maybe they're the only person who's ever driven, and now you have to learn how to drive a car. Maybe they are become angry or stubborn. So how do you advocate for that? So the first thing is to remember that there's still other medical care that needs to be done. So they need their primary care physician, whether it's internal medicine or family medicine or or whoever they're seeing for primary care. Don't forget they still need their heart medication, their diabetes medication, whatever it is. And you may need to help them more and more to make sure that their medical needs are taken care of. Every person who has a diagnosis of dementia should be seen by a neurologist. I think that is necessary and fair for them to make sure that we have the right diagnosis. Once in a while, it's something that can be changed. It might be an infection. It might be a vitamin deficiency. So they really need to be seen by a neurologist. And then one important aspect of of advocating for your loved one is to remember to take care of yourself. Because you are in grief, you are overwhelmed, you are often just exhausted. Maybe the person with dementia isn't sleeping well at night, so you aren't either. So in order to take care of them, you have to take care of yourself. And that's an important part too. Um, that's, really, that's really the main things. The healthcare system in our country does not do this very well. People often say to me, well, they need help, help in their home. Can't you just get them help in their home? And the answer is no. If it's a person who's living independently, they don't have family nearby, that can be a really difficult situation because we don't have that. We don't have long-term care insurance in this country. So in order to be admitted into a facility, it either has to be paid for out of the person's life savings or they have to completely spend down their savings so that Medicaid can take over. But Medicare doesn't provide this kind of care. So it's it's complicated and different steps at different stages of the disease process. Yeah, 
I've had family that's struggled with the financial side of, mm-hmm. of long-term care for sure. Um, back to my grandma, she, <laughs> you, you said something about there not being long-term care insurance. I think there was this brief window that a few people got in on and the insurance companies mm-hmm. realized that providing that was quite expensive and she was fortunate en- enough and maybe had the foresight to, to pay for that at the time. And yeah, made a big difference. Right. Yeah. Those, those policies are, are no longer available. Mm-mm. You can't because, get them. <laughs> I know because insurance companies wouldn't be able to afford them. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is, it is quite expensive, but it's also a lot of, it's a lot of manpower to provide that round the clock care. So. Something interesting as you talk about your experience with family and I do too, this is something that touches almost everybody. Almost mm-hmm. everybody has either a grandparent or an aunt or an uncle or a spouse who, who knows somebody who has going through this, this difficult process of needing more and more care as their dementia becomes worse. I think the the saddest story that I've heard is about someone whose husband was going through it and they decided that he would live at home and Unfortunately, the personality changes became pretty extreme and his mood swings were pretty extreme. And in some time, some cases, it was frightening for, for both of them. Or dangerous. Yes, yeah. it can be dangerous. Yep. He got himself into a couple of dangerous situations out. You know, we live near the coast and you can drive on the beach and you can get stuck on the beach. Mm-hmm. So... That brings up another another point that is often difficult to talk about, which is driving. Mm. So driving is your ticket to independence. And oh my gosh, people do not want to give up their driving privileges. But even when a person is still pretty functional, they can drive, they remember how to drive, it's almost automatic. It becomes dangerous because if they are in a novel situation, a new situation, mm-hmm. say there's a detour, say a child with a bicycle crosses the street or somebody cuts them off or makes a wrong term, the brain doesn't have the capacity to respond and think about something in quick enough to keep mm-hmm. things safe. So driving becomes dangerous long before other situations become dangerous. And that's, that's a difficult conversation. And sometimes the hard part is sometimes bad things have to happen before people recognize, oh, this really is a problem. And I try very hard to not have that happen to my patients. But yeah, perhaps that's what you're describing as well. Well, I've got another one and he ran into a bowling alley. So that was when he lost his. (laughs) So, you know, it's just, yeah, it's a. Yeah, when I think about it, there's a lot of people in my sphere that have gone through dementia mm-hmm. or Alzheimer's. So, yeah, it's it's very very common. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining me today. I think you've got some great tips there and if if I can recap, uh your three tips at the end were get them to see a neurologist. Mm-hmm. Remember that they have other medical needs mm-hmm. and take care of yourself.
Thank you for joining us today. I'm Felicia Struvi, and this has been an episode of Hands-On Health, brought to you by Columbia Memorial Hospital.